Hey, welcome. Welcome to week one of a series called Ghost Stories. You've been hearing about it. We've been excited about it. I have actually been planning this for the last several months. The Lord laid it on my heart back in the summer to deal with some things that, to be perfectly honest with you, before this six-week series is over, you're going to get upset with me. You're going to be uh, angry at times. You're going to be uh, pouty at times. Um, but you're going to grow because we're going to deal with issues every week of this series that is typically not preached about from pulpits, especially in the way that we're going to deal with them. Because the way the Lord revealed this to me was something unique and special. And I've never, I've never thought of it in quite, a, uh, quite this way. And if I haven't, then I'm certain that most of you haven't either. So uh, let, let me first say that it's so important that I planned everything about this series. I planned to have uh, a team of prayer warriors gathering in the mornings before you walk into this room uh, in order to set the atmosphere and because I'm believing that there's going to be deliverance and healing, but what God showed me is it's not going to be people getting out of wheelchairs while that's important and cancer being healed. That is also important. What God showed me through this series is that folks are going to be healed of emotional pain that they don't even know they're carrying. And that's why you're going to be upset with me. And you may even feel manipulated like that your neighbor has made a phone call to me, but rest assured. I don't need your neighbor because there is a ghost that lets me in on what ails you. And he is the Holy Ghost. And the same Holy Ghost that's going to inspire the words in this series is going to also be massaging your heart, your mind, because that's what I'm praying for. The prayer team is praying before you ever enter the room that you're going to be good soil to receive this seed that, that is being uh, cast out. And, and beginning this morning, don't you know that if we are anticipating a great move of God, the devil is not going to take it lightly and he's going to be mad. So before we ever get here, I don't know if you know it or not, because I'm usually the one up here on the stage holding the microphone. You think I hold all this stuff together. But most of what's held together around here is by Kristen. And, and Kristen's had some help. Amen. Yeah, if y'all ever have to decide between the two of us, you might want to keep her and send me. Uh, I, I can go find another church to preach at. But uh, she keeps a lot. Her and JR keep a lot of this thing going that you see around here. And, uh, and the enemy shows up this morning and, and gives her a medical emergency, and we've been having to deal with all of that before church. So here's the thing. The prayer team has prayed for you. I have been praying for you for months. I've been covering this. I'm fasting as we speak. Uh, for months I've been praying, praying over this series. So before we ever get started, here's what I want to do. I want you to lay hands on yourself, and I want you to touch and agree with somebody close to you. Can you do that if you can, if you can reach somebody? And I want you to begin right now to say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to need what's about to be said. And I understand that the enemy is angry. There's a stumbling block being placed in front of me, and I'm asking the Holy Ghost to move it out of my way. I need to hear from heaven. Allow me and my neighbor to be touched by this Holy Ghost both today and throughout the weeks to come, in the name of Jesus. 
And if you can receive that, why don't you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Yeah, yeah, we read the Bible and we talk about and we, we see where Jesus did things called deliverances. And we believe that they used to be a thing. But because we see them so rarely now, we don't really believe it anymore. And I can tell by your quietness that you don't want to amen that point. But the fact that you're not uh, seeing it more than you are tells me that I know I'm right. I've been doing this for a minute. I'm not a novice. I didn't just get saved last Sunday. I've been in church. I have seen deliverances. I've cast out devils. I've healed the sick. I've seen instantaneous miracles take place. I've also saw gradual miracles take place where it happened little by little. I've, I've seen just about everything there is to see, but I don't see it the way Jesus saw it. I don't see it the way the book of Acts saw it, where people's shadows were so powerful that the lame would jump up and run away. So we talk about deliverances. We believe in deliverance. But there's something that has happened in the world. And I'm not just going to cast dispersions on the church. There's something that has happened in the world where we have a disconnect between where we want to be and where our reality is. That disconnect could happen in a lot of different areas. It could be a lack of faith. It could be a lack of teaching. I don't know all of you. I don't know what kind of biblical background you come from. I know that we have got a wide, vast variation across this, uh, this congregation of backgrounds. That you, Some of you were taught that the things I'm talking about, are, they stopped when the apostles died. Some of you were taught that they were never as sensational as we claim that they are. And some of you just haven't been taught about it at all. And so it, it could be a number of reasons why there's a disconnect, but my mandate through this series is to connect what has been disconnected. Because, I, listen, I know all of you don't, don't walk around uh, praying in tongues over whether you're going to buy the Apple Jacks or the Fruit Loops. I know all of you aren't spirit-filled and run the aisles and leave Jesus tracks on the ceiling. I'm not going to ask any of you to do any of those things. But I want to tell every Bible-believing, blood-washed Christian in this room that you are supposed to walk in power. And, and listen, listen to me. I'm not because some of you think that power means you're loud, you have a microphone, and you sweat like I do. That's not an indication of power. That's an indication sometimes that you're out of shape. So understand me. When I say you're supposed to walk in power, Jesus walked in the most power of any individual, but he did it quietly. Never do you see Jesus snatch somebody and start praying, like we do. I'm not sure in the church whether we think the devil is hard of hearing or God is, but we are convinced one or the other can't hear when we pray. Because I've had four or five people around me praying for me all at one time, and I couldn't hear from God if he would have been speaking to me because both of my ears was bleeding. Jesus walked in power, but he walked in quiet power, deliberate power. He was on mission, and he never questioned what he was able to do. If you want to know what the disconnect is, I just told you. Because whether we walk loudly, whether we walk angrily, whether we walk quietly, 
Most of us today do not believe that we can do what we're able to do. So I, I, I want to convince you over the next six weeks of this series that you are supposed to walk in power. Mothers, you're supposed to walk in power over those children. Fathers, you're supposed to walk in power over that household. Christian, you're supposed to walk in power. When you walk into that workplace, the atmosphere should adapt to you instead of you adapting to it. There should be something different about you, a residue of holiness. When you leave a room, the Holy Ghost ought to reside so full in you that, that people talk about you. And I don't mean talk about you because of the way you post stuff on Facebook. I mean they talk about you because they feel different when you are in the room. That there should be something different about you that you don't have to brag about. That's what this series is going to teach you. And, and if you will hold on with me, uh, we're going we're gonna to be dealing with these topics and we're going to use the, the, the framing of ghost stories. And this morning's message is called Scared of the Dark. And I want to tell you that based on what I saw this morning, while I'm going to be talking about your fears, the devil is afraid of you. And one of the reasons you don't know about the power you have is because the devil loves to keep you ignorant. He loves to make you think that only Bishop can pray for the sick. He loves to make you think that only so-and-so on staff is able to do things. And the devil loves to keep you ignorant because he wants to run roughshod over you because he is scared to death that if you ever realize the power that resides on the inside of everyone that has this Holy Ghost. So I want to talk to you this morning about the topic of scared of the dark. First of all, there are a lot of things people are afraid of. I did a little research uh, there's something called thanatophobia. You know what that is? That's a fear of death. Hmm? That's a real thing. People are actually scared of death. How about this one? A tickyphobia. That, that's, that's a fear of failure. I, honestly, I didn't even know, realize that I, I probably have operated that for most of my life, which is why I've been so driven. It's why I'm always, uh, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm always pushing and stuff because I'm, a I'm afraid of fear. So it, it drives me to get out of bed when other people just say, I'm going to take the day off. So I, I probably operate in that. Maybe some of you understand that. Then all of you have heard of claustrophobia. When my kids were little, I remember, I wrote it down in my journal. Uh, Jared was holding Hannah down on the couch. And Hannah was screaming like she was on fire. And Jared was laughing like it was the funniest thing he'd ever seen. And he said, are you claustrophobic, Hannah? She said, yes, and I also don't like it when I'm stuck in tight places. So that's claustrophobic. Now, now some of y'all, because I know you, you operate in, under something called chronophobia, which is a fear of time. And here all these years, I thought it was called always lateophobia. Or, or maybe can't tell timeophobia, but it's actually a diagnosed symptom that you have. How about arachnophobia? Anybody ever? Yeah, some of y'all have arachnophobia. And then I went and found one just for my wife. You ready for this? Orthopterphobia is a fear of crickets. Here's a woman that I have watched give birth to three children. Face down devils over all three of those children. 
stand by my side while we try to build a ministry and the devils and the demons and the fiery darts that the enemy comes against us, that she would just stand and boldly profess the word and hold up the shield of faith in one hand and the sword of the Spirit in the other hand and have the whole armor of God and she'd stomp and snort and cry. But you let a cricket get into the basement of our house and this God-fearing warrior of God will run up the stairs, and she don't run for nothing, and start screaming at me as if a dinosaur was loose in the basement. Then there's one that's become increasingly exponential since the pandemic. There's social phobias, fear of social interactions. It's also known as social anxiety disorder. Some of you are here this morning fighting that very thing. Like, you wish that you could just, like, have your own bubble. You want to be here, but you fight the social anxiety that you feel just to be part of this. So I bring all that to your attention because we're going to go over to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14. And the disciples were on the boat on the Sea of Galilee. Here in the middle of this chapter, we find the disciples on a boat and Jesus is not with them. And that's important that you realize what happened. Jesus had went up into the mountain alone to pray. And he put them on a boat. Now your King James Bible uses the word constrained. Which in the original text indicates that they didn't want to go. He made them get on the boat. They wanted to stay with Jesus. It had been a good day for the ministry team of Jesus Christ. They had just fed 5,000 people with a little boy's two-piece from Long John's. They had watched Jesus perform one of his greatest miracles. They were popular. All the crowds were running out to greet them and salute them and welcome them. They wanted to stay with Jesus. But Jesus went alone into the mountain to pray, and he made them get on a boat. Which in and of itself doesn't sound like a problem. But Matthew tells us what happens here in verse 25. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. Why, why did Jesus come? Well, when you read the story prior to this, you'll find out that a great storm rose up on this boat. The wind and the waves beat against the bow of the ship to the point where the disciples were afraid they were going to die. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, what time? 3 o'clock in the morning. I'll come back to that. Jesus came walking toward them on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, and here's what he said. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. You read the same account in the Gospel of Mark. You read the same story in the Gospel of John. If you go over to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, you'll pick up with another story. Now, this is after the resurrection of Jesus. He is, uh, he is already resurrected, and the people are talking everywhere about the fact that Jesus' body went into a tomb, and now they can't find his body. Verse 35 says... The two men from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them while they were walking along the road. 
and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling it out loud, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Jesus says, why are you frightened? Stop right there. Does God ever ask you silly questions? Like sometimes he asks you, like like he said, why are you afraid? Well, I think I see a ghost. I mean, I think I got a right. But he he asked it, why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? That's a whole other subject. One is tied to the other. Jesus just asked a question, and his second question answered the first one. The reason they're afraid is because they're filled with... Y'all going to check out on me already? I've been gone for two weeks, and you already forgot how to answer me when I ask a question. This is one of them talk-back churches. Just talk back to me. So he answered the first question with the second question. Look what he says. Your hearts are filled with doubt. If you have a heart filled with doubt, there's no way but for faith to enter. You have to live in fear. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies. I want to talk to you about that. That's going to be the theme of this whole six-week series. Ghosts don't have bodies. As a matter of fact, why don't you look at a neighbor and tell them, your ghosts don't have bodies. I need you to catch that. I need you to get that in your spirit because for the next six weeks, we're going to be dealing with this topic. Both of the sermon texts that I used this morning, Jesus said the same phrase, fear not. Why do you think that Jesus tells us so often in his Bible to not be afraid? It's because he knows fear is a natural part of life. Fear is something you are going to face. It's not the absence of fear that makes you excel as a believer. It's how you handle the fear when the fear comes. He knows that you are going to face fear. That's why so often he repeats himself and says, fear not. Some of you are fearful that you're going to lose a job. Some of you are fearful that your health is going to decline. Some of you are fearful you won't make good grades. Some of you are fearful that the marriage won't last. Some of you are fearful that your kid's going to get arrested again. There's fear, fear constantly inundating, and you cannot escape fear. I know you think if you go home and just turn off Fox and CNN that you'll get away from the fear, but I promise you the fear will find another way to creep in. You are inundated in a noisy, loud world who is constantly bombarding you with fear. So the Bible tells us that Jesus speaks to them and says, you just saw what I was capable of. We just fed 5,000 people. And now because your boat is a little rocky, now because the wind and the waves have churned up, you are afraid I'm going to let you die. Then he shows up to these brothers at Emmaus and says, I told you for three years that I was going to rise from the dead. Now that I'm I'm, I'm raised, you, you don't understand or believe that the words I spoke came to pass? See, the scene shifts drastically when these believers who saw what Jesus could do was put in a boat in the dark without Jesus being visibly present. 
I want that to sink into your spirit this morning. Because they are surrounded by darkness. The winds of change are blowing. They have no idea how this thing's going to turn out. In a place they did not want to be, the only reason they got on the boat was because Jesus made them get on the boat. Stop right there. You mean to tell me I can follow Jesus' commands for my life and end up in trouble? That don't seem fair. That doesn't seem accurate. If I'm just going to follow what he tells me and what he commands for me, how is that going to get me into trouble? I thought the absence of trouble was the presence of the Lord. Unless, unless the reason I'm afraid of the dark is because what I can't see gets into my heart and tells me if I can't see it, it must not be real. I want to show you a fact of life. Number one, not all trouble is equal. There's at least four different kinds of trouble that you're going to face. The first kind of trouble is called real trouble. This storm was real. The wind was real. The water was dangerous, and that's real. What we face this morning downstairs with Kristen, that's real. There are real problems in your life. If your house burns down, that's a real problem. If your car breaks down, that's a real problem. If you get sick, if your children get sick, if your parents get old and pass away, that's a real, genuine problem. Somebody say amen. So there's real trouble in this world. I don't want to be one of these preachers that make you think that if you uh, get, get saved, you, everything turns up sunshine and rainbows and you don't ever have any trouble. No, there's real trouble. The Bible says into every life, a little rain's going to fall. It rains on the just and the unjust. The second kind of trouble is satanic trouble. Oh, well, I don't have to worry about that, preacher. I don't worship the devil. That's, that's not the satanic trouble I'm, I'm going to tell you about. Because, see, satanic trouble comes against you in every area it has access to. See, the, Paul says before you get out of bed in the morning you ought to put some stuff on like you ought to put on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and around your waist you should have the belt of truth and and you should be holding in your hand the shield of faith and in the other hand the sword of the spirit which is the word of God because the Bible is very clear that there is an enemy that shoots fiery darts at us he comes at us with lies because he is a liar and the father of lies the Bible says in, in 1 Peter that he is, a, he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Do you know what that word may means? That means that you have to give him permission to devour stuff in your life. Some of you walk around all the time wringing your hands and crying tears and saying the devil took this and the devil stole that and I'm so low and depressed because the devil, the devil, the devil. But the Bible says if you had the power inside of you that you're supposed to have, the devil snapped is nothing that you don't allow him access to. So if I'm believing the devil's lies, he didn't get in my head. He's not almighty. He is not Adonai. He is not El Shaddai. He is not all powerful. He can't have access to any area of my life I don't allow him to have access to. You open that laptop. You type in 
that in that search bar what you're looking for. You dial that number. You text that number. You snap that picture. The devil didn't do none of that. You gave him access to some stuff. Well, it's going to be a long six weeks. It's going to be a long six. I'm going to need an amen committee, and I'll have to pack some in my pocket too. You gave him access because he can't steal anything. Well, I thought he came to kill, steal, and destroy. You're exactly right. That's what he comes to do. But follow that up with, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And you're not going to have an abundant life by allowing the devil to snatch stuff from you. But again, we have to know how to close off the access. That's what this series is going to deal with. Because here's what the Bible says about satanic trouble. He uses what he has access to in order to tempt you for two things. To sin or to lose faith. Those are the only two things that the devil's tempting you about. To sin or to lose faith. The third kind of trouble you're going to get mad at me about. It's called divine trouble. There are times when the Lord himself troubles people. Pastor, I don't believe that. Well, now listen. The Bible says there is no wicked in him. There is no evil. There is no shadow of turning. You're right. The Lord can do no evil. However, the Bible also says that he troubled Saul. The Bible says that he troubled Pharaoh. Sometimes there are things that happen in your life that is induced by heaven. But it's never induced to get you to sin or lose faith. It's, in, it's done in order that you might grow. Oh, you don't believe me? Go over and read your New Testament because the Bible says Paul had an affliction that he knew God could heal. But God said, I won't heal it because I'm using it to grow you. Now, God didn't give him the sickness. But God used what he had and caused trouble in Paul's body. The Bible says this. Everything in your life that can be shaken will be shaken. What does that mean? That means when you surrender your life to Christ... There are things that if you really surrender, I'm talking about fully walking in power. I'm talking about wanting the endowment from on high. When you really walk in the, a relationship with Jesus Christ, he will start shaking stuff. And I'm not just talking about your dirty mouth. I, I, I'm not just talking about that he makes you wear dresses to church. I'm talking about there are some stuff in your life that you thought you was going to get to carry around, and you look around and say, where'd that go? And Jesus done shook it off of you. And you didn't even know that it was bad for you, and he was just shaking it off of you, getting rid of stuff, and you start thinking, why don't I have that anger anymore? Where'd that relationship go? Where'd my anger issues go? Where'd my dependency go? Where'd my addiction go? He's shaking stuff off of you. He's using his ability to cause you trouble. Because I got news for you. He was taking my temper away, and I wasn't done with it yet. He was shaking my temper out of me, and I was still trying to use it. You mess with me, cut me off at Walmart, and show me what kind of bird you have in there. Preacher or not, I forget my name for about 15 seconds and tell you what for.
And then I would get ready to tell them off and give them a piece of my mind and do exactly what I used to do. And I'd say, ah, Jesus loves you. Won't you come to church? Where'd that go? Where'd my temper go? I used to be able to, man, I used to really give it to him. Where'd that go? He shook it. He shook it off. And everything that happens to us is supposed to make us sold out to the idea that God is in full control of everything. We have a fancy word we use in church called sovereignty, which means God is in control and you're not. Amen. Which means Jesus being fully God knew a storm was coming. And he put them on the boat and sent them anyway. How you like me now? God sent his disciples into the middle of a storm. And you think every time the boss gets cranky with you that God has forsaken you. And you shall never see the glory of the Lord again. But for the remainder of this sermon series, those are the first three kind of troubles you have. For the remainder of this sermon series, I'm going to deal with one specific one. Are you ready? Are, are you ready? Because this is the one where you're going to start getting your feelings hurt. This is the imaginary trouble. The imaginary Imaginary trouble uses the first two troubles and combines them to bring a problem into your life. Let me tell you what I mean. They were in a real storm. It caused them real stress. It invoked real anxiety and real fear. Somebody say amen. They were facing a real problem. However... They gave the devil access to their mind and because of the real trouble coupled with the satanic trouble, now we have something called imaginary trouble which always makes things seem worse than they really are. Oh, you're not sold out, I can tell, so... Let me put it to you like this. You always see what you're looking for. The disciples saw... Who? Who was on the water? Who was it? So this is the man that they ate with and slept with and traveled with. and This was the man that had called them into the ministry and they had sold out everything to follow. They saw... Jesus and called him a ghost because you see what exactly what you're looking for why were they looking for a ghost well if you go back and read history of that period of time when a ship was in distress in that day and age, there was an old wives' tale. There was, there was this conspiracy amongst sailors that if you saw a ghost and your ship was on, in distress, that, that ghost sighting was a sign that your boat was about to go down. And they were supposed to start unloading all of the cargo and all of the unnecessary things over the side of the boat because that was a sign from somewhere that their boat was about to go down. 
So in their moment of stress and anxiety, a real problem, a real problem, they allowed the devil access, satanic trouble, and now they have an imaginary problem because they're looking at their deliverer and not realizing what's in front of them. They're looking at the answer to their problem and they're calling it a ghost. They're looking at the one that is coming to save them and they're repelling against him. They're looking at the one who has the solution to their real problem and they can't see the solution because you see exactly what you're looking for. Yeah. 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 Since I was a little kid, I've heard people ask the question, do you believe in ghosts? And because I had a real mean older brother, I used to sleep with the quilts pulled up over my head because we didn't have, we, we grew up poor. We didn't have, I don't have to rehash that story. We grew up poor and we didn't have a lot of heat in the house. So when it got cold, you just put more quilts on. And my brother had me convinced that if I slept outside my covers, a vampire could suck my blood right out of my neck. He had me convinced of it. So as a little boy, I would fall asleep with the covers all the way from my head. Do you know what that'll do to a little boy, uh, it, you know, with four quilts? I would wake up sometimes in puddles of sweat. But I could not pull the covers down to let myself get ventilation, lest the vampires get me. And some nights, because I would just roll around in the bed, I would roll completely out of the bed, hit the floor, and we had hardwood. Uh, hardwood is an exaggeration. We had wooden floors. They were not nice hardwood. Joanna Gaines kind of hardwood. These were, these were splinter-infested lumber out of a barn somewhere. And I would fall out and hit that floor and immediately scurry under the bed, pull all the blankets under and wrap myself up because my older brother had me convinced vampires was in my closet just waiting for a chance for my neck. And I, I slept like that for it had to be a couple of years because of him. But I've had the question posed to me, as many of you probably have. There's this crazy phenomenon where people, boy, I better, I better watch what I say. I don't know all y'all. I pulled into Dollar General here about six months ago, and there was a van pulled up beside me that said, Paranormal Examiners. And, and on the side of it, they had a whole litany of things that they come and examine. And I didn't take them up on their service because I didn't have none of it. But I thought, are these people making a living ghost busting? Because immediately I was back in like fifth grade and I could hear, who are you going to call? <laughs> but there's a whole, I guess there's a whole genre of whole grown folks that believe in ghosts but you've probably been asked because of that you've probably been asked do you believe in ghosts and obviously for many years my answer was of course not but now at this stage of my life and seeing the mental health crisis that the world is in before I can answer do I believe in ghosts I have to ask a question myself what kind of ghost are we talking about because the gospel writers do not tell us they give no explanation of why they said Jesus looked like a ghost.
either to the boys on the boat or to the brothers at Emmaus. It never tells us why they use the word ghost. Now, you know for a fact that over 90 times in the New Testament, the word Holy Ghost is used. And we are familiar with the Holy Ghost. And then in both the Old and the New Testament, the Bible tells us that somebody gave up the ghost. But that's not, neither one of those is a reference that we see here with Jesus. These apostles had bought into the superstitious stories about ghosts and took a real problem, added satanic influence, and came up with an imaginary disaster. When they encountered something that they could not understand, they immediately assumed it was a ghost. And would it shock any of you this morning to know that you do the exact same thing? For the next six weeks, we're going to use this definition for what a ghost is. A ghost is something that is from your past that shows up in your present. It's a shadow of something that used to be real that was behind you but now has been put in front of you. And it does not reveal the whole story but it intimidates you because it looks like the thing you buried but it's in front of you and now it's real. It's a figment of your imagination. It's something from then that shows up in your now and makes your now feel like then. You're no longer married to Bobby, but you treat Teddy the same way that you treated him because the ghost of your past is always showing up in your present situation. I want to take the rest of the time I have with you this morning to tell you that things look different in the dark. There's a reason you are afraid of the dark. And it's because things look different when darkness comes. The first thing that I know of personally that looks different in the dark is God's plan for my life. Because when God spoke to me and told me he called me to preach, I never envisioned this. And by the way, you see me on Sunday, and, and I usually have a pretty polished message to deliver, and I, I'm usually pretty put together, and we have a, a whole litany of things that we go through, but this, this is the easy part. I, I just want you to know that standing up here on Sunday morning is the easy part. You don't know the devils and the Judases and, and the enemies of our soul and, our, and, a, and attractions from hell that we have fought just to get to this point. When, when God said he had a plan for my life, I never knew he meant 
seeing my children talk down to it and having my marriage on the rocks. I never knew he meant having people who was going to say they were with me one day and then stab me in the back. I didn't know all that. When he said he had a plan for my life, it looked different when the lights went out. It looks good on Sunday morning with all these lights on. When the when the screen is up and the music is loud and everything is polished and put together, it looks good with the lights on. But at 3 a.m. in Keystone, West Virginia, when my wife laying in the bed upstairs and we were afraid she was going to die and the enemy of my soul whispering in my ear turned the entire room cold, so cold I could see my breath. And he whispered in my ear and said, if you'll quit this preaching foolishness, I'll release her from her sickness. And I was so close because that's my wife. I was so close to saying, if that's what it takes to get her well, and I knew it was demonic. I knew I could see my breath inside my house. The lights was off because God's plan looks different in the dark. And I could hear him seething at me to just quit just quit everything will be better if you just quit and then I turned to the Lord and I said God he told me if I would just quit I don't have to do this this little church can be without me they don't need me he said he said He said, and in his most gentle, still, small voice, I could almost hear God. Why are you listening to anything he said? And then I had to remember the voice that called me was not the same voice. The voice that anointed me was not the same voice. The voice that promised me that I'd be the head, not the tail, above, not beneath. The, head, the voice that told me I would prosper in the city and prosper in the field. When I got up, I'd be blessed. When I lay down, that's the voice that called me into this. That's the voice that said, from your mother's womb, I had a plan for you. And a plan to prosper you and bring you to an expected end. That's the voice. I was listening to the wrong voice because God's plan looks different in the dark that's why you're scared of the dark because you thought the job was going to look like this and then the lights went out you thought the marriage was going to go you're so in love you were so in love on the wedding day and the marriage was going to be just like this and then the lights went out you woke up to dragon breath yeah when the lights go out you find out how tough you really are listen these disciples were the same ones who when they left the city they said hey Jesus them nitwits wouldn't listen to us how about we just call down some fire and brimstone from heaven and burn them up because we're on the right side and they're on the wrong side and they wouldn't listen oh they was real tough as long as they were with Jesus put them on a boat and turn the lights out yeah all of those all of those braggadocious claims that they was making about how much faith they had see can I tell you something that most preachers are, are afraid to tell you God's not mad at you if you admit you're afraid 
For, for you to act tough because you act like you're going to let God down it is foolishness because too many people think it's a lack of faith to tell God something about why five minutes ago I was real excited about being on the ministry team of Jesus Christ because we was feeding the little boys uh, lunch to uh, 5,000 people. I saw miracles. I was excited. Now I'm scared I'm about to drown. Peter was always acting tough. Peter was always acting tough. He was, all, he was always the first one, wasn't he? To open his mouth and say, oh, no, I don't care where the rest of them go. Jesus, I'll be right by your side. But let that light go out. And him be in the boat. And he, Keep reading that story in Matthew. You know what it says? Peter looked out and said, Jesus! Is that you? Jesus, if that's you, let me come out there. Because <laughs> I'm scared in this boat. Wait a minute, I thought Peter was ready to lop off people's ears and he was going to go to prison and he'd go to death. Whatever it takes, Jesus, I'm going to be. The minute the lights went out, Peter's, Jesus, if it's you, I want to be out there. Can I just be honest? Do you know how many times in the dark I've looked up Jesus, I'd rather be with you. I'll be the only honest Christian in here. The rest of y'all are totally holy and content, and you fight the forces of darkness. Y'all pray for me. I'm not as holy as you are. Because there are times when in the dark recesses of my soul, when the lights go out, that I have looked up to heaven and said, Jesus, if that's you, I want to be there and not here. I'm not as tough as I'd like to make myself out to be. And maybe some of you resonate with that. Next thing that changes when the lights go out and why you're afraid of it is because God's timing isn't measured by your watch. I don't know if you noticed it or not. But Mark tells this same story in Mark chapter 6, verses 47 and 48. And he says, late that night, the disciples were on their boat in the middle of the lake. And Jesus was alone on the land. And verse 48 says something that blows my mind still to this day. He saw that they were in serious trouble. Did you see that? Oh, oh, yeah. He said he saw them in serious trouble. Some of you wonder why. God, where are you? Why is this taking so long? How come you haven't showed up yet? Why am I still being ravaged with pain? Why am I still sick? Why is my marriage still in trouble? Why am I still stuck in addiction? Why do I still have all this depression? Why, 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 why? And you wonder, does God even see you? Rest assured, he sees you. In your serious trouble, but the reason you're scared of the dark is because he don't operate according to your timepiece. We're constantly questioning heaven, why haven't you done something by now? And the Bible is very clear that despite your circumstances, God always gets to you on time. Can I tell you that you got to develop a whole new mindset if you're going to walk on the water? If Peter's going to get out of this boat and go to Jesus... If you're going to get out of that dark place and walk to where Jesus is, you're going to have to do some things you haven't done before. 
you got to be willing to change. you got to develop a mindset that says this. Some folks that I run around with won't never get on the water. Some people are always going to be content to stick in this boat. And by the way, you have to be willing to look at your boat and say, you know what, I've been in this boat a long time and this boat ain't been going nowhere. Why am I so attached to this boat? What is it about this boat that's so attractive to me anyway? I might as well get out. If Jesus is over there and I'm stuck in this do-nothing boat, in this boat in the dark that's about to go down, why am I so attracted to this boat? And step out onto the water. He says he saw them that they were in trouble and they were rowing hard and struggling. <laughs> he watched them struggle. This is a side of God y'all don't like. He saw them that they were in real trouble and watched them struggle. You say, I would never do that to my child. You a lie. I watched my kids struggle and would laugh at it. I still remember Jared trying to climb up on the trampoline. He'd fall down. And he'd, and he'd fall down. And he'd fall down. When you going to get up and help him? No. It's funny. And he's not hurt. First and foremost, he's not hurt. But most importantly, if I keep helping him, he's never going to learn how to get up there by himself. He'll never gain the strength that it takes to pull himself up and gain access to what he... See, see, see. See, some of y'all want God to show up and just spoon feed everything to you. But what he's trying to do is develop some spiritual warrior muscles inside of you so you can gain access to the place of blessing. And you won't never get there if daddy keeps scooping you up and depositing you down. Uh, so so, so, so what, I, what I really came to tell you this morning is even Jesus looks different in the dark. Yeah, about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus comes walking on the water, and they thought he was a ghost. They thought he was a ghost because you see exactly what you're looking for. The circumstances, the real problem mixed with a satanic influence has given them a make-believe ghost story. And now everything is worse than it actually is. But I read the end of the story. And I found out that the storm was a setup. It wasn't an accident. He ordained this. Couldn't he pray on that boat? Why did he put them on a boat, send them away while he went? He could have prayed on that boat. He, he could have showed up before 3 a.m. He could have got them across the water before the storm came. As a matter of fact, we read in the Gospel of Mark one time where he already spoke to the wind and rebuked the waves and made them all lay down. So he's got that kind of power. Why would Jesus let them struggle and him watch them and then finally show up? Because Jesus set them up. He put them in a perilous situation so he could show them that hell has never made a storm so big. Hell has never devised a wind so strong that can uproot my plan for you. If I am for you, who cares who is against 
So he wants them to be connected in their mind that the truth and the lie aren't as easily accessible from every area. I have to rebuke one to hold fast to the other. And my truth is, God is my sustainer. And the lie is, you're about to drown. And he calls every one of us to walk in power. And the only way for us to do that is to believe the truth and rebuke the lies. I've done a whole lot of preaching right there. So some of the storms that have been scaring you to death has been a setup. You ask heaven to give you a ministry. Can I tell you something about this boat them boys was on? I've been on a lot of boats. Canoes, John boats, bass boats. I even went on a cruise ship one time. Can I tell you something about little canoes? You don't get 12 brothers on them. For all 12 of these boys to be on a boat, big boats. You've been asking Jesus to give you a big boat, but big boats come with big storms. And some of the things that you have been asking God, I want more power in my prayer life. Don't you pray that God would give you more prayer life and then not expect stuff to be, storms to be dumped into your life that will cause you to get on your knees and pray. You can't just ask God for faith because when you ask God for faith, He's going to shove things in your life that's going to turn the lights out and make you scared of the dark. And you're going to wonder why is this happening? It's because you ask Him for a bigger boat. These brothers... We're walking with Jesus and ministering with Jesus. But what they didn't know is that he don't need your boat to keep you safe. And even when he don't look like he's doing anything, God gets ready to reach you. He don't need your job. He doesn't need your permission. As a matter of fact, he showed up at 3 o'clock in the morning. You know what that tells me about Jesus? Now, Jesus ain't like Church of God folk. He can tell time. His problem ain't being late. His problem is he shows up when you're ready for him to show up, not when it's convenient for him to show up. He showed up in the nick of time. I usually don't know what God is doing. I wander around all the time saying, God, I know you're up to something. I can't see it, and I can't discern it, and I don't have any idea what the plan is, but I know for sure that you are up to something. Peter walks on the water to Jesus, and the rest of them boys stayed in the boat because they were scared of the dark I wonder I wonder how many people under the sound of my voice are willing right now to admit that when the darkness comes I get a little afraid as a matter of fact if you're ever going to walk on water can I tell you something? You're going to have to be willing to step out alone. 
you can't wait for all your squad to get ready to walk on the water with you. Because most of the folk you run with are scared of the dark. Well, it's inflation. It's the government. It's this conspiracy. It's that conspiracy. It's this. It's that. All these things are against me. If you're going to get out of that boat, you're going to have to get over the fear of what you see because the faith you have in what you can't see. What happens when the enemy of your soul doesn't know who's behind you? David said in Psalm 149 that if I look in front of me, you're in front of me. If I look behind me, you're there. What if the devil knew what was coming behind you? What if you knew what was coming behind you? What if Jesus put you in the middle of this storm because he's trying to teach you how to walk on the water? I'm proving a point right now that you don't see what's coming behind you. You only see the storms in front of you. But there is a God in heaven. And he has your back. And whenever you are tired of being scared of the dark, he's ready to teach you to walk on water. Peter did not have Jesus to lift him up and put him in the water. He had to step out on his own. And some of you are afraid of the dark because God hasn't took this and delivered that and broken this. But what have you done? What have you done to enable his part? Because he didn't teach Peter to walk on water inside the boat. It took him getting over his fear of the dark. This is what I run back to every time. Every time me and my wife fight, I run to this, this bottle. Every time the boss gets on me, I, I run to this stimulant. Every time I feel like Life's out of control, I, I run to this. Every time I don't feel appreciated, I, I... And you end up in dark places full of fear and anxiety and depression and aloneness. And if I'm going to get out of this boat, God's not going to drag me. I'm going to have to step out, lay it all down. Say, I've done everything I can do. When I stand up in front of churches like this, there's this, people have this idea that God just took stuff out of me over the years. Listen, I've put filters on my internet before. I, I refused to go into certain 
places like bars for, for, for years. I wouldn't go eat at an Applebee's. I didn't want to be around the element. Not because I felt holier than them. I didn't want it for me. I didn't trust me. I to this day won't go into a room with a, another member of the opposite sex and shut the door. Not because I'm afraid of anything that's going to happen. I just don't ever want the space to get clouded. I put barriers up. I, I can't do whatever I want. some point, I have to get out of the boat and quit being afraid of the dark. I know that's my comfort. I know that's what makes me feel better for the moment. But you know it too. It makes you feel better for the moment. But then it leaves you lonely and in dark places. And just like Paul, you said, the stuff I wouldn't do is what the stuff I'm doing and the things I wanted to do. I'm not doing those. It's time for somebody in this room to get out of the boat. But I'm afraid if I give up this addiction, I won't, I'm afraid if I give up this relationship, nobody else is going to want me. I'm afraid if I give up this, this habit that I won't be able to make it. You better hear this word this morning. Somebody needs to get out of the boat. Somebody needs to learn to walk on water here tonight because that's where Jesus is. I'm not telling you he don't love you in that fear-riddled boat. Obviously he does. He walked out to you. I'm not telling you that he's mad at you. I'm just telling you that you're doing yourself harm staying in that boat. If you're here under the sound of my voice this morning and you know you need to get out of the boat, you've been afraid of the dark too long. You're the one we've been praying for. You're the one I've been fasting for. And I'm going to challenge you to get up out of your seat and come down to this altar where the prayer team's going to meet with you and I'm going to meet with you and you're going to learn how to walk on water this morning. You're going to finally learn what it feels like to have true freedom over that dark place that has kept you in the grip of fear, some of you, all of your life. So I'm going to ask one more time, every person in this room that needs deliverance over fear, every person in this room that needs deliverance over something that has kept you and you know it's, you know it's an area that you run back to, it, it brings you temporary comfort, but it, 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 it causes division between you and your God. Come up to this altar this morning. I even selected the song. Because the Holy Spirit spoke to me one day and told me what song to sing for the altars during this week because God has orchestrated this entire series for you. I, I, don't, want, I don't want there to be any kind of uh, confusion about that. You're exactly the one that God was after. Down to the song that He inspired for the altar. Because healing is coming. Prayer team, would you guys mind coming up? And if you're a staff member here or one of our Stephen ministers are in the house. There's, there's, there's healing taking place right here. Right now.
but it's not it's not healing in the body it's 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 other healing fear is leaving fear fear be gone in the name of Jesus 